Where you're born often plays a significant role in the path your life takes. This is true on an international level as well as on a local level. In Dallas, I-30 marks a barrier between North Dallas and communities like Jubilee Park and South Dallas. And nonprofits like the Jubilee Park and Community Center are working to attain equal opportunity for those South Dallas residents. As CEO Marissa Castro-McCoy explains, the cycle of poverty isn't easy to break and requires support from the community at large. I'm sure you've heard this before when people say, well, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and, and figure it out. You know, people can figure it out. People have been resilient enough to do it. It's like, well, what if you don't have boots to start with? And and that's that's really what we're talking about. When, you know, we're talking about generational poverty. It's you know, people that are trying to live and provide basic needs for their families. So if you don't have access and opportunity um, to quality education, to enrichment, to health care, um, you're, you're, just, you're just making it work. We talked to Marissa and Chief Advancement Officer Haley Coates-Huseman about the specific ways they're trying to build opportunity in South Dallas while still helping neighbors survive disasters like the COVID pandemic and the winter storm that recently hit Dallas. I'm Andrew Kaufman, and this is The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Presidential Center. Our two guests today come from the Jubilee Park and Community Center right here in Dallas, Texas. The nonprofit organization is working to help strengthen the community resources available to the Jubilee Park neighborhood in southeast Dallas. Uh, Most of the families in that neighborhood are considered working poor and are underserved by health and education resources. Um, Meanwhile, our latest issue of The Catalyst, the online journal of ideas from the Bush Institute, is all about the American dream. So we've invited Marissa Castro-McCoy, the CEO, and Haley Coates-Huseman, the Chief Advancement Officer, to talk to us about the great work happening in Jubilee Parks so that those residents can live out the American dream. Thank you both for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. We're thrilled to be here. So I gave the briefest of introductions there at the top. Uh, Marissa, could you fill us in some more on, on Jubilee Park and what what the goal of your organization is? Sure, sure, I'd love to. Um, So Jubilee Park and Community Center was founded about 24 years ago, and we set out to be a catalyst for comprehensive community revitalization in Southeast Dallas. Um, Our neighborhood, Jubilee Park, encompasses 62 blocks that's bound by I-30, Fair Park, and Crosstown Expressway. And everything that we do here is aligned and grounded in one or more of five of our pillars of impact. And those are uh, safety, health, housing, education, and opportunity. And we do that because we know that all of these impact areas are critical for communities um, to be able to thrive. And those impact areas that you mentioned really do dovetail well with a lot of what the Bush Institute is really passionate about. Um, and But since a lot of our audience isn't local and familiar with the Dallas layout, Haley, could you talk to us some about why you guys chose this neighborhood and, um, and go deeper into your mission? Yeah, um, well, Southeast Dallas and specifically uh, the Jubilee Park neighborhood, it hasn't always been Jubilee Park. It used to be a really thriving middle-class uh, community and there was a thriving economy and 
um, you know, there was, there was a community here and it was siphoned off by a lot of physical barriers, namely I-30. When I-30 was constructed, it was constructed right in the middle of, um, of the community in the 50s. And even today, you know, you'll kind of see residential roads that have been truncated. But um, what that, that ca- coupled with the fact that um, the main primary employer in town, which was the Ford plant here in Southeast Dallas, closed in the 70s and caused um, just some economic downturn as well. And sort of all of those things coupled together caused Southeast Dallas to be um, a long-term neglected area of the city and cut off from resources. You know, Dallas is a thriving economy. There's a lot of great health resources. There's a lot of great educational resources. Um, You know, the Bush Institute's very aware of that. And um, unfortunately, our neighborhood just wasn't able to capitalize and take advantage of all of these things that Dallas has to offer, mostly due to physical barriers, due to other barriers um, that have been created over time. And So 24 years ago, we were started by a church, St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church, and it was for their 50th year anniversary, which with the Episcopal Diocese is called the Jubilee Anniversary. And so, um, you know, those 20 some years ago, uh, they were looking for a place. They didn't want to invest money in their own church building, in their own church body. They decided, let's let's look and find a place in Dallas where we can invest our resources and hopefully improve lives and strengthen a community. And um, they you know, after surveying Dallas, they really fell in love with the Southeast Dallas community and, and with what is now Jubilee Park and just the, the resilience of families to, you know, go through these decades of neglect and this, this decades of hardship, but they're really still, you know, they're making it work. They are, um, you know, they're, they're hardworking and, um, they just want what's best for, for them and their kids and, and multiple generations live here. And so we, um, they ended up landing on, on Southeast Dallas and invested what was at the time a $50,000 investment and has grown over the years. So, um, you know, and Southeast Dallas still today, you know, we've, we've, we've seen a lot of change and progress over time, but still today, Southeast Dallas is considered a food desert. It's considered a medically underserved area by the federal government. Um, you know, 56% of adults here are not insured. And there is uh, still an educational gap. There's still a, an opportunity gap. And so that's, you know, what can Jubilee continues to do here today. So your goal is, is really at its core to close that opportunity gap. Absolutely. In all of these different areas, we realize that they exist, not just in education, not just in housing, not just in income, not just in health access. And it's in all of those. And that to truly help, um, you know, break the cycle of multi-generational poverty, you have to approach the entire family, you have to approach the entire household, and you have to approach it from all of these aspects. Well, and you just touched on something really interesting there that I'd like to explore, which is this concept of multi-generational poverty, uh, cycles of poverty. Marissa, can you talk some more about that? Like, you'll often hear, oh, you just have to work a little harder to get ahead, but it's, it's not always that simple, is it? It's not, and it's, you know, that I'm sure you've heard this before when people say, well, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and, and figure it out. You know, people can figure it out. People have been resilient enough to do it. It's like, well, what if you don't have boots to start with? And, and that's, that's really what we're talking about. When we, you know, we're talking about generational poverty. It's, you know, people that are trying to live and provide basic needs for their families. So if you don't have access and opportunity 
um, to quality education, to enrichment, to healthcare. Um, you're you're just you're just making it work for for yourself and for your family. Um, and the cycle continues, and we've seen that over history and over time. And you know, I, I think yeah, I come from the education world before I came to Jubilee, and um, and I'm a, a big believer that education is an equalizer. No matter where you are, who you you know, where you come from, education can get you on level playing field. However, that takes a very long time, and that takes generations to to begin to. Um, to affect future generations. And I, I love the approach of Jubilee and place-based initiatives like ours that really tackle um, breaking the cycle of poverty from, from this holistic perspective. And it's not just with education, but it's with workforce, it's with advocacy, it's in um, affordable housing, it's all of it. And it's comprehensive and it's intensive work, um, but we've seen the benefit and we've seen the the fruit of that labor. Um, and I, I think that it's also really important to say that, you know, we pro- we're providing a lot of resources and initiatives and programming and education to our neighbors, but it's about leveraging and leveraging the assets that our neighbors have already and providing that platform for people to be able to, to thrive and to lift up and and um, get a pair of boots so that they can <laughs> right. pull themselves up. You know, it's it's not about Jubilee or any other service provider, frankly, for that matter, swooping in and and saving people. It's about providing access and equity for what other what other neighbors have all around the city. That people here deserve that too. And I do want to talk some more about solutions here in a moment, but before we do, there's. There is another element in this whole thing, which is that we were originally going to record this a couple of weeks ago, uh, but then Dallas was hit by a major winter storm that knocked out infrastructure and, and damaged homes all across the city, and seemingly everybody was affected. But when you're in a cycle of poverty like so many in this city are, when unexpected events like that like that snowstorm happen, people in communities like Jubilee Park are affected more than folks that aren't in this cycle of poverty, right? That's... Absolutely true. And I, and I will say that, you know, when I started in July, pandemic was, was happening. And, you know, this, this neighborhood is the working poor. It's families who are live, who are working um, blue collar service jobs. They're making it work. They might be living paycheck to paycheck, but they're, they're making it work. COVID happened and was it Haley? 72% of families that we surveyed or 74 we immediately um, surveyed families and found, yes, yeah, 72% had lost, someone in their household had lost a job or wow. had reduced hours wow. um, in, in their, so they, they were experiencing reduced income. Um, so our services and our approach completely shifted and it went from one of education and empowerment and advocacy and, you know, how do like, how do we map out a plan for you and your family to we need to stabilize and help you stabilize so that you are you don't become homeless and you have food on the table and you're able to provide for your families. Um, so that, and, and we had never pushed out as much financial assistance as we had in, tw- as we did in 2020 um, than in previous years. And then when the winter storm hit, it was, it was, 
eye-opening and heartbreaking. Um, and we immediately, I will say from, you know, it was Friday, that Friday it started to get cold and Saturday over the weekend it hit. And I spent the weekend and that Monday with my team and with so many nonprofits on the phone all day. I was upstairs in our guest room with um, partners like United Way and Commit and um, United to Learn, sharing resources. What do you need? What are you hearing? My team, our team at Jubilee were making phone calls um, and a third of our staff live in the neighborhood. So they were affected as well. Um, I mean, we all were in different ways, but it, it just said to me, you know, there's such a deep commitment to support each other because this is really, this is what community is. This is what community is about. It's, yep. I'm, I might be suffering and hurting, but so is my neighbor. So how can, how can I help? Um, and, you know, we mobilized and we, again, with lots of partners, not just Jubilee, it was St. Michael's and Pepsi. And I mean, all of these different organizations coming together to provide resources. Um, but we saw what happened. I mean, we had families who um, it was, they didn't have power and their houses, the quality of their homes wasn't great. And so they were really, they were in trouble. Yeah. And so it was, you know, we, we have a great partnership with Dallas police department. Um, they, we have a substation that sits on our campus. That's actually a Jubilee resource center. And there were about seven officers that are there and they are an extension of our team. We work with them very, very closely. And they said, you know what, we know how to drive through this kind of weather. You give us the food, the blankets, whatever, and we'll go deliver. And so oh, between wow. Dallas police department, you know, our extended family and our staff walking to apartments and um, if, you know, homes around the area, they were walking food and blankets and jackets and things like that. Um, so wow. I guess to answer your question, it just, it, it, sh- it showed me, just the power of um, community, but it also highlighted with an even brighter spotlight what families are living in and 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 um, working with right now. I think for me, it also showed you know for some people losing power and not having access to basic utilities isn't this you know epic crisis that hits Texas once every 10, 20 years, you know, this could, this is something that can happen. The water can get shut off. The bills aren't paid. The electricity can get, can get shut off regularly. And unfortunately, you know, um, you know, families just have to make that work. So I think that it was also really eye-opening from that perspective of, you know, it's one thing to hear about it, but to experience it for a lot of people, a lot of people got to experience this firsthand during the winter storm. And I think it was, um, hopefully it was, you know, eye-opening and enlightening to, um, you know, difficulties that families, working poor families face all the time and are resilient to and are able to still, you know, I learned some things about myself during that. Oh my goodness, I can't, you know, if I can't take a hot shower and I, I don't know if I'm going to have power, I, you know, it's different. It's a different um, way to approach your day. You wake up differently that way. And I think that in itself is a basic understanding that um, we can all hopefully take take something away from. But I will add to, to Marissa's um it's just a story here that the summer, the Saturday after the winter storm, when uh, the roads finally thawed out and people could actually drive and get out, we had um, planned a distribution. It was a basic needs distribution, and we had food, hygiene, water, blankets. We had infant supplies, supplies for senior citizens, formula, things like that. 
And, um, you know, we thought, well, we've got all these supplies. As Marissa said, we worked with our partners. We really stocked up and we were, we were stocked and ready to serve, you know, hundreds of families that day. But we, we thought, well, we don't know. Will people like, will people show up? We don't know. We know there's a need, but how big is the need? And we just, we just showed up that day. And, um, as soon as we stepped out of the church, our staff and volunteers were just overwhelmed because the line that had come to line up to go through the basic needs distribution, the need was so present. I mean, it wrapped all the way down Bank Street out here in front of our community center past Grand. And I mean, it just for blocks. And so I think for us, that was, you know, it was, we needed to be there that day. And we, we knew that we had that inkling, you know, that week we said, we really need to just we need to coordinate these supplies and we need to get um, resources out to our community. But that morning when we opened up and this was an hour before it was supposed to start, um, we just, it, it was, it was very obvious. It was overwhelming for us. So. And so if you're listening right now and you think this is interesting, what's the best way to support Jubilee park? You said the community really is where you get a lot of support. So what's the best way to take action here? Yeah. So Jubilee is, we run almost a hundred percent on donations, on donations, on in-kind contributions, on volunteer hours, manpower. So we are a nonprofit 501c3 and that's how we fuel all of these programs. So um, financial support is always appreciated, you know, just bringing awareness to this, to these issues, to Jubilee Park um, and to the greater Southeast Dallas area is, is a huge Plus, and, you know, we have a lot of opportunities to get involved, not, you know, you can come volunteer for a distribution, but we also have task forces for each of our pillar areas. So we have a team under health, under housing, under opportunity that's working together and, and trying to, um, you know, drive this work strategically. And so um, I would offer that. And you can find out more at jubileecenter.org, make a donation. Um, so we're here to talk about the American dream and, and how the Jubilee Park Community Center is working to make that happen for families that are the working poor. So let's dive into how. Marissa, you said you come from the education world. How do you approach education uh, in this project? So it's, you know, thinking about education from infancy through um, 12th grade and beyond. Like, so there's a career and readiness aspect, but also looking at workforce education. So I'll tell you a little bit about um, com the compulsory ed piece. So we have um, an incredible partnership with Head Start of Greater Dallas, and we have two buildings that are on our campus. That's it, like right behind me. This beautiful park, and right behind the park, there's um, a building called David's Place and another one called Jeannie's Place, and it's an early Head Start um, building that's for I think six weeks, uh, six weeks old to three years old, and then um, three to five year olds. So there's Childcare, high quality early childhood programming there. And then we have um, a K 12 after school and summer program. So, an out of school time program for, um, for students that are through K 12. So, there's a teen program that's sixth through 12th grade, and then a K 5 program. And we focus on um, you know, academic support and intervention where needed. We have a program that addresses children with um, learning differences, it's called S3. And so we'll, we have specialist behavior um, interventionist and um, academic interventionist that will work with those kids. And we also are partnered very closely with the elementary uh, school that's closest here, which is O.M. Roberts Elementary. And then we also serve um, children who are students who are in surrounding areas. But it's this approach of 
looking at how can we best support students and families in the schools with shared goals. So if that's around literacy, if it's in math, if it's social emotional or enrichment, so we talked about the opportunity gap, it's providing those opportunities for kids who, um, you know, who grow up with in, in highly resourced families that get things like that, like, you know, STEM club or coding club or karate or whatever that might be. We try to help fill that gap, but also staying very connected and aligned with what the school is doing so that we're understanding, you know, how we can support what they're doing. Um, and we do a lot of um, parent education along with that. So how do you help from home if you're a you know parent or caregiver, how do you help from home support your, your child or your student? Um, and then the other piece of that is, um, is workforce development. And so for years, we've had ESL and computer literacy uh, classes here, and as well as some certifications, um, an early childhood certification and a security guard certification. We're looking at that now, looking at, you know, where the needs are in the community and where people have, um, you know, the hospitality, hospitality industry and service industry has really taken a hit. And so trying to understand, you know, how can we plug in our, our neighbors to um, jobs where they can uh, earn a livable wage. And if their job, because that sector has, has um, decreased and shrunk, you know, how do we plug them in? Um, but it, those are tied. So in terms of education, it's the K-12 piece into college and vocation, as well as the adult um, education, which is really folded into um, workforce. And that really mirrors our thinking of the Bush Institute's education reform initiative. We talk about the pipeline. We think about it in terms of the education system's ability to create a steady flow of people ready for the workforce. Yeah. Um, and that starts with early childhood education and continues into K-12 and associates and bachelor's programs. Um, we've actually created an online tool to look at how states are performing and creating this pipeline. would love for you all to check it out at pipeline.bushcenter.org. Um, and education is a big part of being able to fulfill potential and live your American dream, but it's, it's really only one piece of the puzzle. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, so how else are you guys working to maximize the potential? It's about access and equity. And it's how can we help provide access and equitable resources to our neighbors that other people have have access to? Um, and that's a very high level way of thinking about it. But I think it's if you boil it down, <laughs> that's what it comes down to. Um, you know, and Haley talked about the, uh, the the barriers that we have here and what happened with the Ford plant and when I thirty was built. Um, in the fifties. Um, I mean, it really did segment this, this neighborhood off. And, and so when I think about what we're doing and I, it's not about we're here to provide all of these things and, and you're fine and things are great and you're out of, you're not going to be in poverty anymore. It's about advocacy and organizing and leadership and Jubilee providing the microphone and the platform for people to be able to, to speak up. Yeah. And just, you know, leveraging the strengths of the neighborhood, as Marissa said, and, and organizing these strengths of the neighborhood to meet an end goal and to increase access in these, in certain areas. And so, for example, this, this year, you know, our opportunity task force has highlighted the need for additional internet connectivity 
and working on a short-term plan where Jubilee is actually able to help families pay for internet as a utility bill if they need assistance, but also a long-term plan of working with nonprofit partners, with uh, corporations, with the city to make sure that this basic need is, is met for generations to come. And it's no longer such a, a barrier to accessing other opportunities in all of these areas, right? I mean, internet is so um, fundamental to a lot of different things at this point. And, um, you know, health, access to health um, infrastructure. And that could be something like a medical clinic, which Jubilee is working on um, right now, or it could be access to a grocery store, which we're still a food desert. We still do not have that, that basic necessity here. And so those are, you know, we, we kind of, we, we rely on the community to tell us what is it that you all need? What opportunities are you seeking? And then we plug in to increase access to those things. Mm-hmm. It really is fascinating to me, this theme that, this theme of the concept of place. Um, you have the effect of an, on an entire neighborhood of one employer moving away decades ago and the effect of highways and traffic flow in the city and, and how these things just pile up over decades. And for those that aren't as familiar with Dallas, that North-South divide is real and, and where you're born really does impact your access to opportunity. Um, from downtown, as you drive north, you go through the Park Cities, which is one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in the entire United States, and you hit North Park, a premier shopping destination, and you continue driving, and you go through different affluent neighborhoods and hit the suburbs, which are also well off, and employers are flowing in like Toyota. Um, but as you go south, you have the opposite, and you get into real tangible disadvantages, like food deserts, where there's not even grocery stores to get fresh, healthy food for your family. Um the marketplace has spoken and has said, hey, we'd rather put our resources into these affluent neighborhoods in North Dallas. And so this concept of place now is affecting really how you even get nutrition for your family. So so how do we now correct for that? How do we convince businesses that they need to make monetary investments into areas like the Jubilee Park neighborhood? You know, the way that we I've been I've thought about it is there's there's the meeting the immediate the the band-aids we don't have a grocery store um what do we need to do okay so we're partnering with the farmers market we um you know partner with with other organizations that bring in um healthy food on the weekend for distributions we're standing up a food pantry right now the long-term plan is it's about what i said earlier and it's organizing and it's talking to elected officials and telling people you have to pay attention. This, the, this sector that, you know, South Dallas, is the size of Atlanta, right? Wow. When I learned that um, when I first started here, I was blown away. And the fact that, you know, so many parts of South Dallas are neglected and ignored. And, you know, I'll tell you one of the stats that also blew me away is, Families that live in this neighborhood are living 15 to 20 years less than people that live a mile and a half in Lakewood away, 15 to 20 years less. That, that says a lot. That's stunning. It's stunning. And, um, so, I mean, I I guess, you know, the long-term, the long game here is it's organizing and, and advocating for what is right and what people deserve grocery stores, a bank, a pharmacy, 
high quality healthcare, you know, all of these things. It's, it's, and, and using organizations like us, there are other, many other amazing organizations in South Dallas, but, um, you know, us being the convener uh, in the platform to bring people together to advocate. Yeah. I mean, just building off to what you're saying, it's, you know, I think of it from a human perspective, you know, we should be shocked and we should be um, moved to do something about the fact that there's a whole half of our city that is not accessing the basic things that we access and take for granted. Um, But even from an economic issue, I mean, you bring up the market issue. I think it's just reframing that because while we are a neighborhood of predominantly working poor families, people earn a dollar and the dollar in South Dallas is just as good as the dollar in North Dallas. And I think that there's a lot of mentality change and I think there's, it's going to take, and that's the advocacy part, you know, it's going to take a lot of um, coalition building and um, yeah, coalition building to, to bring this more to the forefront. And I think it's something that is starting to be looked at more deeply and conversations like this really help, but um, you know, building an economic case for South Dallas. I mean, that is, that is at the end of the day, what a lot of, of organizations like ours, a lot of organizations like us are working on. And it takes that public private partnerships and it takes partnerships with people like the Bush Institute and research institutes to say, you know, yes, you know, the dollar in South Dallas is, is worth my investment. And I think that, um, you know, that's why we're here. And Haley, another one of the pillars is housing. And as we talk about the American dream, historically, that's been a big part of it. You're, you own your house, maybe with the white picket fence. Is homeownership still a part of the American dream? Is it, and is it still attainable um, for people living in neighborhoods like in, in South Dallas? Yeah, I mean, I will say um, that I think that owning a home is just becoming harder and harder from every economic aspect. I think that finding affordable housing in communities and neighborhoods um, where you want to live is, is difficult. And I think that from Jubilee's standpoint, you know, we have about 60% of our neighborhood is, is renters and 40% is homeowners. Um, homeownership has increased over time, but um, we have seen that, you know, clearly the, the property value alone for land in our neighborhood, this close to downtown, this close to Debellum, is increasing. It's rising. We know that gentrification is right around the corner. How do we allow families and help families to stay in this community where they've grown up for generations and love um, without having to be displaced, you know, due to lack of being able to afford it. But I will say that something that was really, when I first came on board here in 2018, we were wrapping up a project with the city of Dallas that I think is a perfect example of, of how homeownership can still be a part of the American dream. But we, we worked with the city, we worked with several, several private funders, corporations and foundations to help build 28 single family homes for individuals in Jubilee Park to own new homeowners. You know, they went through homeowner, uh, homebuyer education classes. We helped construct these homes with their input. And at the end of the day, their mortgage was able to be subsidized to a level that fit their means. But it took the city of Dallas, it took Jubilee, it took many private partners to make that sort of micro program work. And I think in order for home ownership to truly be accessible to everyone and to create, create more equitable access, you know, for families that haven't been able to build generational wealth, right? That this type of a program has to happen 
in, at a much more systemic level. Well, and just to underscore what you said, Haley, just about, um, you know, I think about the American dream and it's how do I acquire equity and, and wealth to give to my, my family and, and so that it's passed on through generation. That's how, um, you know, people begin to acquire wealth is through home ownership. So I think it very much is a part of the American dream. It's just um, difficult to, uh, for all the reasons Haley just said, to do that, um, to acquire a home because of the state of, you know, the families that we work with and or that are that we partner with and um, and what's happened with COVID and, you know, winter storm and we, you know, we'll continue to, to try to, to try to support and provide access and opportunities for people to, to go down that pathway of homeownership. As you've, I think Haley noted that you've seen the percentage of homeownership in Jubilee Park increase. As you've seen that number increase, have you, have you noticed any, any correlations that have gone with that? I've noticed, you know, the three years that I've been here, which has not that long with the, with the history of the organization, but I, I have noticed that there's the new construction and new development in Jubilee that Jubilee has been a part of has been a lot of help with that, right? So the, these homes that were created and new construction that was built with the purpose of owner occupied, I think has helped to build that over uh, the last 24 years. I know that over the last 24 years, besides this 28 single family home project with the city, Jubilee's helped build over 50 homes. Um, so I think that, you know, in piecemeal and with, with strategic partnerships, that's how that's been able to um, change over time. But I will also say that just as in, you know, in 2019, we reevaluated our housing pillar and noting that, you know, we've just come offline of this project with the city for a 28 single family home build and looking at what is our next step? Do we build more homes? Do we acquire more lots? And we did a housing needs assessment with uh, the University of Texas at Arlington. And, and what we found was that the quality of homes, whether rented or owned, but particularly interested in, in owner-occupied homes, was uh, mostly poor and very poor on the, the scale of home, home quality. And so we ended up sort of switching gears for the last uh, couple of years to home repair and rehabilitation, also in partnership um, with the city and other, and other private partners. But really taking a look at housing stock of those that have owned their homes and do own their homes in Jubilee, how can we keep them in their homes? How can we make their homes safer and more quality? So, um, you know, it's, it's new home buyers, it's bringing new construction and new development to the neighborhood that's going to benefit the neighborhood and not um, gentrify and push out the neighborhood. But it's also making sure that we're repairing and rehabilitating homes that have existed here um, for generations. And as we speak of partnerships, you mentioned earlier an interesting one, a partnership with the DPD, the uh, the Dallas Police Department. Uh, you told the story of the police officers helping out during the winter storm that we had and helping drive and, and deliver goods. That's a great story, especially against the backdrop of the times, which is of communities that are often clashing with the police. Like we saw a lot of a lot of real tension there, especially last summer. So what has Jubilee done to help strengthen those ties so that you do have this relationship that you're describing? You know, I think we we started off um, with just a very innovative uh, model or relationship with the Dallas Police Department. You know, um, the board and my predecessor had the foresight to see that 
you know, creating an environment or a, a campus that included the Dallas Police Department, um, just that in itself began to help with building bridges of trust with our neighbors. It's a community policing model. And so we have regular um, anti-crime meetings with the DPD officers, with our staff, with um, our task force and community members who are coming together and looking at crime reports, talking about what's happening. Oh, I've noticed this, this going on in this area. Um, and that has helped. I mean, it's not just that it's block walking every month. Um, we have the DPD will host senior safety meetings. So it's really helping seniors understand, um, how not to be taken advantage of in terms of fraud and, um, you know, things like that. But we've got our, our officers out in the community alongside us. And I think before any of the social unrest that happened in the summer before that, for years, the neighbors have seen DPD as they're there in support and, and to help and to listen. And, and, and they're, they've been a part of our, um, our work. And so when it happened, I mean, again, I wasn't here, but we didn't, this neighborhood didn't experience um, what other, what downtown was seeing in terms of protests and upset and anger. And there were conversations, um, but having a DPD community um, resource center on our campus in the middle of this neighborhood and nothing happened here. Um, I think that says a lot. And I think it, it goes back to its relationships, relationships and trust and people know those officers by name. And, you know, those same officers are delivering meals when needed. Yeah, and I think if, um, you know, communities across Dallas and really across the country focus a little bit more on police, not just being called in times of emergency and crisis. It's not just the 911 call, but they're also there in times of celebration. They're also there at community events. They're there when you need them um, during food distribution. They know who lives down the street to the right, and they know that she hasn't come out of her house in a while, and she usually does, and maybe we need to go check on her. Or, oh, I don't think, um, you know, Miss Smith came to pick up her groceries. I, I can take them to her. Let me go ahead and load those into my car, knowing exactly where she lives. I mean, it's it's things like that and just bringing, bringing policing really to, to the community and, and having it be community driven, you know, and of course, you know, we're lucky to have uh, them in times of crisis and in times of need. But I think that the important aspect of that as well is being there in times of, of celebration and community convening. And I think that that has gone a long way for us. And certainly um, this is, uh, that relationship has also allowed us to have pretty candid conversations with our police officers about racial equity and about a lot of the conversations that happened this summer, but because of the foundation, those conversations were at, were able to be more direct. And I think uh, will hopefully over the long term lead to real change and, um, you know, we'll continue to grow together here in, in Jubilee Park and, and hopefully act as, you know, a highlight and a, and a model for other communities across Dallas and, and the nation. Well, there's the rub. So this is a 62 block area. And it sounds like there's a lot of great progress being made to enrich lives there. But 62 blocks isn't even the tip of the iceberg. How can you scale this not just in Dallas, but in communities nationwide? You know, there are a couple of things that have to be present. And one is 
a backbone organization or entity that stands up the framework and the model. Um, and then it's a it's committed, you know, funders and people who are willing to provide resources and partnerships, and it's got to be public and private. Um, but I would say most importantly, it's the community that's engaged in driving what the work looks like and um, manifests into. Like that's that's critical. Um, I, you know, I've been in the nonprofit world my whole career, and I have seen um, well-intentioned groups of people and organizations come in and say, this is what you need. We will fix it. We will provide it and come in and out. And that does not lead to long-lasting impact and change. Um, it's the partnerships, it's the, the buy-in, it's the trust. I go back to that. It's, um, I think that's how you scale it. So it's all of these pieces that are coming, that have to come together, but, um, it's possible. It's possible. We've seen it. So Haley, how do we keep this top of mind? North, I'm a North Dallas resident. Um, my community is really entirely within North Dallas, my commute where I grocery shop, where I see friends, um, you know, sometimes we'll go to Arlington off to the West for a Ranger or a Cowboy game or go to downtown for a Mavericks game. Um, but I don't venture south of I-30 very often when I do is to pass through. So, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone. How do we keep this top of mind when we're not driving through these neighborhoods on a daily basis as part of our commute? Um, well, certainly this podcast has helped. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Happy to do it. But I, um, yeah, this is something that we think about a lot and we try to create relationships across the city you know, in these public-private partnerships we're talking about, many of them span across different areas of, of Dallas. And so that's part of why they're hugely important. Um, but, I, you know, part of my role here, too, is just thinking about increasing the marketing and, and PR side of, of Jubilee and getting the word out there and raising awareness in the greater Dallas community. And we're really lucky um, this year. We have, you know, a lot of partnerships like this over the years, but this year we'll be working with a group of young professional advertisers. We are working oh, cool. currently. Very cool. To uh, launch an awareness campaign here soon, this spring, and we are targeting uh, neighborhoods across Dallas, including some in North Dallas. So awesome! Um, you know, opportunities like that, and again, it takes folks that know this uh, backwards and forwards. They're in the advertising industry, they're in the marketing industry, and they're willing to lend their time, you know, pro bono for us. And I think that um, you know, nonprofits like like ours need that. Um, Leveraging those relationships is really essential for things like this. So I'd also add, you know, the, the Dallas community, the greater Dallas community is so generous and so giving, so kind and so giving. It's getting, it's just making people aware of the disparity. It's so different. Families live so differently a mile away from you. And, you know, I talked about this earlier, but just that sense of community. We are all one community. And, and kind of understanding that, you know, like I have a family, I've got two boys and a husband and a dog. Well, you know what? So do families here and they're living very differently. And for what reasons? So I think it, it's, you know, sharing the story of, of what is happening in a place that I don't see, I don't drive through every day yep. and then understanding the why. Um, and I think that's how, that's how we'll help make a difference in, in all of South Dallas. Yeah, I think that that hits the nail on the head. Um, and so before we let you go, what 
are y'all working on now? Like, Haley, what's next for Jubilee Park and Community Center? What are your new initiatives? We're actually in the roles of fundraising to build a health clinic in the neighborhood. It'll be part of our campus. It's going to be um, two stories. It'll be 1,400 square feet. And the bottom floor will be an actual primary care clinic. And we're doing that in partnership with Parkland Hospital. And so they will outfit that bottom floor clinic. And then the second floor will be um, Jubilee programming, a community room where Jubilee can do continued health education, fitness classes, cooking classes, um, you know, all of all of these different things, youth athletics. And the second part of the second floor will also be uh, mental health counseling and um, health coaching and, and case management. And so really looking at holistic health resources. And this was really driven, you know, we did a, a strategic plan in 2018 uh, into 2019. And we asked the community, you know, what do you need from us long-term? And they said three main things. They said, we want better jobs. We want better housing, safer, more affordable housing. And we need a, we need a clinic. We need access to health resources, healthcare. And so, you know, we've, we've worked in all three of those areas over the last few years, but this is the culmination of, you know, listening to our neighbors and understanding that primary preventative care is uh, so needed in South Dallas and in Southeast Dallas. And, um, that that is contributing to this life expectancy. That is contributing to the fact that adults in Southeast Dallas are twice as likely to have diabetes as in general on average in Dallas. And so um, just all of these, all of these statistics that are setting up people, like you said, that are, are born in the zip code in South Dallas up for a shorter life and for less quality of life, how can we combat that? And so this clinic was the culmination of those conversations. And we're really excited to see it progressing and we're looking forward to um, hopefully breaking out on that this year. Well, it all ties together. Diabetes rates are higher and I'm not an expert, but I'm sure it's, it's because of the, the correlation that it's a food desert and there's an oversized portion of your diet is coming from fast food and your nutrition gets out of whack. Exactly. And it's part of why the holistic model is so important. You know, we know that all of this affects not only health, but if a child is not um, eating well, if they're not going to see the doctor when they're sick, they're not able to get to the doctor. Mom is not able to get to the doctor when she's sick and, you know, having to straddle that and, and the, you know, just taking care of the household, all of that affects how the kid's going to do in school, right. Or how the kid is going to be with their peers and maybe how their behavior shows up when they come to the classroom. So there's a, all of this is interconnected and it's part of approaching the whole family, the whole household and multiple generations um, in order to really make that long-term change. You know, you can't just do one. You have to do them all. Well, and, and school is more than just education too. And in low-income neighborhoods, school is also a major uh, provider of meals for kids. Exactly. And that leads back to, you know, the COVID conversation of when schools were closed, families are even more food insecure because they rely on the school system to make sure their kids are fed. And so that's an additional expense added to the fact that you have been out of work for weeks, maybe months, because you're in a service job and your restaurant's closed. And that that happened even just during the winter storm. During that week, you know, many restaurants had to close. Many places had to close down. And that affected um, our community's ability to earn, earn their wages. And so it, it perpetuates the cycle. It all plays together. Well, really appreciate both of you 
spending some time with us and taking time out of your busy schedules um, to talk about Jubilee Park. Again, if you want to learn more about Jubilee Park and Community Center, visit www.jubileecenter.org. Again, thank you all so much. Be sure to read the latest issue of The Catalyst, the Bush Institute's Journal of Ideas, at www.bushcenter.org catalyst. If you enjoyed this episode of Strategist, please leave us a review, tell a friend, or share it on social media. You can find us at The Bush Center on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening.